Before we get started today, we'd like to thank Laura, who set up a fundraiser for us on her birthday. She said, I'm cheering you on and sending compassionate vibes. Thank you, Laura. We're definitely feeling it. Hi, I'm Simon Talbot. And I'm Wendy Dean. And this is Moral Matters. Our guest today is Leah Houston, who practiced emergency medicine for nearly 10 years in 11 different health systems and three different states before becoming an entrepreneur in the physician autonomy and digital privacy space. She faced challenges with credentialing and security of her professional identity, which led her to start HPEC, a digital identity and credential data wallet for practicing physicians. Let's have a listen. Dr. Leah Houston, thank you for joining us on Moral Matters today. Thank you so much for having me. So we did a really brief introduction, but I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing these days. Amazing, of course. So uh, I'm an emergency doctor. I practice across the U.S. for nearly 10 years, and um, I'm creating HPEC, which, you know, you mentioned it's a company, but it's also a movement to save medicine. Uh, You know, physicians took an oath to put patients first, and, you know, our duty used to be to only serve our patients. But slowly as the years have gone on, there are these third parties who have infiltrated between the doctor and the patient, uh, and now we're essentially being incentivized. And so we have an opportunity uh, to kind of create a paradigm shift and to fix that. Yeah, that's great. We talk about that all the time, about how it's really hard to serve two masters, the patient that we made the covenant with and our employers who expect us to also be loyal to them and to keep their interests in mind. Right. Or the insurance companies who are also paying us. Correct. So what was emergency medicine like for you? When did you leave? And how did you make that decision? Or how did you make the decision to transition into HPEC? Well, I actually loved practicing emergency medicine, um, and I actually really miss it a lot, and I wish that I could do both, but unfortunately, time prevents that. Um, But there were things that were very concerning to me. And because I worked in 15 different health systems, you know, I worked in, you know, very poor, underserved areas in big cities uh, like San Francisco and New York City. And then I've also worked in very wealthy areas like um, Sonora uh, up in Northern California or the Hamptons out in, you know, Southampton Hospital. Um, And every single place had its problems. You know, I've also worked for larger private equity backed, um, you know, private health systems, uh, for profit, vertically integrated systems. And things just kept happening that were very ethically concerning to me. Uh, you know, one example, I was, you know, treating people who had drug and alcohol addiction, a large homeless population, and this particular health system didn't have security on, they didn't have psychiatry on, and the director of the department uh, was trying to encourage me to just discharge these people back to the street. And, you know, as an emergency doctor, it's unsafe. You know, these people are unsafe. They actually were committing crimes when they were brought to me. And the only reason they didn't go to jail uh, was because they were under the influence. Now I'm going to discharge them to the street. That's not only unsafe for them, but it's unsafe for the rest of the population. And when I brought this up to that director, they essentially said, well, it sounds like you're not really fit to practice here, Uh, you know, implying that it was me. 
And so, you know, that's one example of many that I can give where I was essentially being incentivized to practice unethical medicine in order to keep a job. And after talking to colleagues, I realized that, you know, I'm not the only one that had this problem. And uh, that's why I sought to fix it. Yeah. It, it, unfortunately, yours is, is not the first story that we've heard. We've heard an awful lot of these. So walk me through how you started to make that transition and, and how you came up with this idea of HPEC. Well, um, you know, it's not just unethical things that were happening from a patient side. There was administrative things that were happening that were unethical. Um, one hospital that I had previously worked for was using my professional identity, my Medicare and Medicaid PTAN numbers to bill under my name after I had left that hospital and after I had left that state. Now, this is Medicare Medicaid fraud. This is fraud against the U.S. taxpayers and fraud against the patients and fraud against me and my professional identity. And, you know, they thought it was me that was practicing medicine. And because I had let my uh, medical license lapse in that state that that health system was in, they thought I was practicing medicine without a license. Oh my gosh. And yeah, I mean, it was really bad. I, um, I was unable to work for five months while I, you know, legally attempted to resolve this, which thank God I finally did. Uh, but that helped me to understand, hey, you know, there is multiple layers of deception and corruption and, uh, you know, bad things that are happening in our system. And, you know, we as physicians, we have, we, we shouldn't be, our, our, our numbers shouldn't be used and our credentials shouldn't be used without our knowledge or consent. Um, and, you know, to take it even a step further, as I thought about this problem, because I had so long to think about it, um, I realized that there was a new secure technology that could help us to own and authenticate our own identity and credentials, revoke access to these credentials when we leave to prevent this kind of fraud. But it could also be leveraged in the long term to essentially create a guild of doctors where we can use this digital form of identity to communicate in a similar way that we communicate over social media, but in a more streamlined um, and self-governed way. And that's called decentralized identity, that technology. And so that's when I set out to start the company, when I realized the solution to that problem. So uh, there are a few paths I want to go down <laughs> in that one statement. I would really like you to go back for one second and just talk a little bit about using your credentials, because I think a lot of physicians don't realize this is a potential problem until it's too late. Um, I can't tell you how many physicians I hear who say, I found out that there are five non-physician clinicians on my license. Right. I only found that out because I had to go back and, and get relicensed and it just happened to pop up. Um, Correct. Yep. Or who, who hear stories like this and say, oh my gosh, could this happen to me? So can you just walk us through that? That's what had happened at this particular center. They had had a, a bunch of, uh, you know, PAs and NPs working under my license while I was working there. And when I left, they had them continuing to work under my license. And, you know, when I onboarded, when we sign our contracts, our employment agreements, it says, you know, you'll be required to supervise these individuals. And for me in my work, 
at least in the places that I worked, I thought that it meant that I would only be supervising the, you know, the mid-levels that were working during my shift where they were actually talking to me about each patient and where I was actually supervising the case. Um, but I learned after this, especially that that's not what they meant. They mean, we're just going to use your, your medical license whenever we feel like it, whether you're working or not, whether you're even working in this hospital or not anymore. Um, and essentially, we have no leverage as physicians to negotiate these contracts in a way that would prevent this kind of harm. Um, and so our credentialing solution is, uh, it's a digital identity and credentialing solution where right now when we graduate from medical school, we get issued a paper credential and we get to hang it on our wall. But when we apply for a job and we share that copy of that PDF of that paper credential that em employer or even that insurance company that we're credentialing with has to then go back to our medical school and say, hey, is this a real document? And they do that via old school faxing analog ways of doing things. And then the, that medical school says, yeah, yeah, she actually graduated. And they say, okay. And they check a little box in their internal centralized system saying, okay, that credential is checked. And they have to do that with 30 to 70 credentials when you are a newly employed physician. So there's and this is part of why that process takes four to six months. Um, you know, there are tools out there like CAQH, for example, where you put your information onto these centralized platforms and uh, you give them permission to essentially store it and share it with these entities. Um, but there's no decentralized system where you can hold and control those digital copies in your own wallet. And so that's what we do differently. Uh, with HPAC, the HPAC application, when you actually graduate from medical school or finish your CMEs or get issued, you know, get your procedure logs from your hospital that you're moving from that you need to share or any other credential, any other required document that we need to share in order to be employed or to work with an insurance system, with our application, they can issue you a digitally verifiable certificate that you can hold and store in your wallet for the lifetime of your career. So instead of having to interact with a system like CAQH um, that you need to log in and you don't know what they're doing with your stuff after and you have to essentially give everybody access and you have no rights and somebody could be using your license without your knowledge or consent, with HPEC you can uh, share these credentials digitally immediately. They come along with provenance data um, of where they were coming from. So not only can they, when you're onboarding, they can check and instantaneously you could be onboarded. So you could start working the next day with a system like this. Uh, but when you leave systems, you can revoke access to those credentials. Hmm. Um, and importantly, and what we, other features that we would like to use to do moving forward um, are the ability to see what's exactly being billed under your name, to understand yeah. What kind of revenue are they generating under your name? And so there's a lot of use cases beyond just the onboarding process, but that's our first use case, digital credentialing. And it's not only how much is being billed under your name, but what does that billing look like? Mm -hmm. Meaning how many four and five codes, how many three codes? It's interesting. I just wrote a paper a couple of months ago with an ER physician who was very concerned about this because CMS said... The physicians should have access to their billing data, and yet so many, number one, say, I can't get access, I've asked for it, and I can't get it, but also, I feel like when I ask for it, 
it, it's potentially a trigger for retaliation. Right. So what are our, our rights as physicians? Do we have a physician's bill of rights somewhere? I have never seen one. So for those of you listening, if you've ever seen one, please, you know, share it with me, send it to me over social media. Um, but we need a physician's bill of rights and we need to understand what our legal rights are uh, because we talk a lot about the patients, but because we have been so benevolent and are just trying to do the best for our patients and not paying attention to our own rights, we've essentially been engulfed by the medical industrial complex. And, you know, do we have rights to know our billing data? Do we have rights to know what's billed under our name? We do. CMS lays that out very clearly. Okay. That physicians must have access to the billing that is done under their name. So if somebody retaliates, then that's, you know, a wrongful termination case or a, a sham peer review case that needs to be pulled up. But the problem is, is, you know, how can we fight this all on our own? Yeah. As individuals, it's too hard. It's true. So tell me about the guild side of this. How does it, how does that work? So because this is uh, an application that's physician only, because you have to have at least done one year of residency in order to even onboard onto the application, we actually have integrations with the CMS. Um, we also actually check your identity to make sure you are who you say you are with a government issued ID. So this is a very secure identity app. Um, once you onboard, you are automatically entered into groups um, based on your specialty and based on your state license for now. And in those groups, you can collaborate and communicate around issues just like this. Hey, who else is, you know, working at SANE elsewhere? Who else saw this in their contract? Who else asked for their billing information? Um, because I've asked for that and now this is happening. And then people can kind of chime in. And in a closed private community of physicians only, we can come up with a game plan and, um, you know, get some leverage around protecting our rights, our legal rights in this case. Yeah. I think this is, I think it's a great idea. I wonder, I mean, you've got to have some pretty strong headwinds coming at you. Many people have asked me if I have a bulletproof vest. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, this is a very serious thing, you know, in, in my mm -hmm. opinion, for the most part, and I don't, I'm not talking about every single organization, but our medical associations, our national and regional medical associations have failed us. They are not serving our interests any longer. In my opinion, they're conflicted. Um, and basic things like this. Okay, we have a right to our billing information. Why aren't health systems terrified to tell us no when we ask for that information? It's because we have no collective voice, no organization that would back us up, in my opinion. And it's also because we're not paying our dues to our medical societies. We're letting our hospitals do it. Well, there you go. And that's why they're conflicted. Correct. Correct. So we could start taking it back there as well. Start paying our own dues and having our voices known. Yeah. If you're not paying, you're not choosing. If you're not paying, they're not representing you. And this is unfortunately the same thing for patients. Because the insurance companies are paying for medical care, then unfortunately we have now been forced to do all this prior authorization stuff and follow protocols that the insurance companies are forcing us to follow or else we don't get paid for our services. And, you know, when the patients aren't paying for care, they're also not choosing their care, just like in the same way when we're not paying our dues, we're also not getting our representation from our, our associations. Right. 
And for any patients who are, who are listening, your employer chooses your plan. So if you're not happy with your plan or you're not happy with how it runs, the first place to start is with your employer. Right. But even employers are also starting to get fed up. You know, they're, they're, there's a lot more self-funded plans. You know, they're trying to, you know, they're realizing that what they're paying for isn't valuable. They're not getting value for it. It's frustrating for everybody. Yeah. So Leah, when I think about this, my head starts spinning with all the possibilities. And we've talked about managing our own credentials, about billing, about talking to each other, about sort of behind the scenes, um, sharing information about workplaces. But I can imagine that behind the scenes, I thought what you were going to say is that behind the scenes, we could be working to do referrals. Is, is that possible? Well, yes. You know, the, the main goal of this company that we're building, uh, and I, you know, I have to mention, I, I initially wanted this to be a nonprofit, but as you mentioned, doctors aren't even paying their dues to the currently existing association. So I said to myself, how am I going to get doctors to donate to another cause? You know, we're already feeling the squeeze. Uh, and so the original idea was the guild and that idea was, you know, if we build a credentialing solution, which is a $5 billion industry, a revenue generating company, then we can use the capital from that company to fuel the guild and pay, and doctors won't have to be paying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the ultimate goal of the guild is to create physician autonomy, you know, to create a system that allows doctors to become independent again, that makes it easier to be independent, to build referral networks that were unplugged from, you know, either your hospital health system or the insurance company and are aligned with the doctor-patient relationship. Because, you know, we as a physician community, we're the ones that took the Hippocratic Oath, you know, to put our patients first. So if we align ourselves with other doctors who took that oath and use these digital tools, we can build referral networks again that are on par. In my opinion, they could be better than these large health systems and insurance networks because those systems and insurance ne networks are building these their systems to generate revenue for themselves, not to coordinate optimized patient care. Yeah. What I keep thinking about are the consolidation of these systems is fencing their, their patient population. So they're creating fenced networks where it's very difficult for patients to get out. And when I was writing the book, one of the chapters is about Rita Gallardo who quit two jobs in a matter of five years because her hospital system was telling her where she could refer and where she couldn't. Right. I know somebody who got into a large lawsuit with their employer and ended up losing her house because of this. Uh, and she's been essentially blacklisted from working in that area because that whole system essentially owns that whole area. She had to move. And this was a patient that desperately needed highly specialized care that was not available in her system. And even the doctors that she called in her system said, I can't take care of that case. I can't take care of that case. Hmm. Uh, you know, but because it was a specialty that was on the list of covered specialists, you know, the systems don't understand like, you know, the rare disease patients, right. you know, the super duper complications, the redo redos, they need highly specialized care. And right. just because you are a cardiologist or a neurosurgeon doesn't mean that you can do it all for these highly specialized cases, you know? Right. I mean, I've heard those referred to as ghost networks. 
We say we have I've it. I've never heard that. It's interesting. It's scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think this is a, f- a fascinating concept, and uh, I can't wait to watch it grow. I mean, we've been talking for years, so I've been watching it grow, but I feel like you're really at an inflection point, and it would be great. I, I can't wait to see what the next steps are for you. And we, we will put in the show notes links for people to go to the company so you can get more information. I assume that when you go to the company website, you can get to you or get to someone who can get to you if they have questions. Yeah, you know, we are, um, our website is hpec.io. Um, I'm on social media at Leah Houston MD across platforms and then HPEC-ID across platforms for the company. And and here's a, a request from the audience. For those of you who are listening, if this isn't the solution, what is? Yeah. You know, I, I had asked about the Physician Bill of Rights. If that exists, I'd love to hear about it, you know, because we've gotten to a point where things have gotten really bad for us as practicing doctors, and therefore it's gotten bad for our patients. And it's time for us collectively to do something about it. And so I'd love to learn what else is out there also. Yeah, same. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really great to have this conversation and let everybody else in. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Well, Wendy, you know, one of the things that struck me as I was listening to Leah was how right at the very beginning, she said that her big challenge was trying to put patients first over her employer and over the insurers. And we hear that so often as sort of the the hallmark of moral injury in so many of our uh, guests and and friends and colleagues. I agree. It's it's so heartbreaking to see physicians like this who are so frustrated and can't see their way to practice within healthcare systems and we end up losing them as clinicians, but the great thing is we're keeping them as entrepreneurs. And so they're working outside the system to try to make it easier for physicians to practice within it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, she said that she really enjoyed emergency medicine. And I, I think that, again, is something that we hear all the time from different physicians is, is how much they like the sort of crux of what they do. But all the things around it were troubling. You know, the ethical concern she had about discharging people to the street. And, and, and frankly, in her case, some of the administrative issues that uh, were very troubling about the, the way her license was used. When I was listening to that, I kept thinking about Carlisle Regional Medical Center, which is in the book, and how the physicians there in the emergency room were so troubled by some of the things that they were asked to do. And I I think it's just, we underestimate the toll that those requirements take on physicians. You know, that's that's exactly right. It's, It's a toll that it takes on you. It is not just a hey, somebody build something under me, no big deal. It, it, it really does sit with you, the concerns that you have about the way things are done sometimes. What I think a lot of folks don't know is that when you're employed by a healthcare system, they have to bill for your services under your name. And so you have to sign over that authority to them when you sign your contract. But then they bill as they wish and you retain the responsibility for it. So it's this really hard double bind that I think for a lot of employed physicians is almost impossible to parse out. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that she's trying to address with this. 
but there is there is hope because you know what Leah has done is tried to find a way that she can actually make things better and to her credit I think that one of the things that she demonstrates is that you can be proactive you can go out and try and change things and do things differently yeah for sure well I I think it'll be interesting to watch how HPEC rolls out and for anybody who's curious I think they should go and take a look absolutely we'll have their information in the show notes Well, thank you for joining us for Moral Matters. Our producer is Dave Young at Widget Studios. We are a grassroots organization and your contributions will help keep these episodes coming. If any of the work that we do is helpful to you, please give back if you can by making a donation at our website, www.fixmoralinjury.org. While you're there, you can browse through pages and pages of other resources we've cataloged. The book list alone could keep you busy for months. And you can help by spreading the word and encouraging conversations around these topics. Share this episode with friends and colleagues or use the social media links in the show notes and tag us. We would love to see your thoughts. Plus, if you subscribe, rate, and review the show, it makes it easier for new listeners to find us. Thank you, as always, for listening. And stay well.